0: The Dalmatian episode 101. Hello, hello, hello. Around the post time ATP podcast, and we are in the midst and the depths of the French Open. Um, And I think we're halfway through the pit of fire the pit of death actually no we're pretty much through it now um this is a very interesting week and a good week we may be potentially having a bye week next week uh, our co-host mark Figaroa will be out of town but we might uh we might still have a surprise episode next week we'll find out uh but if you don't see one release you know why uh how
1: are you though man oh good if you uh enjoy a game breakdown analysis and you're really into the depths of uh point construction you're definitely going to enjoy this episode okay so this is a techie episode very technical that's exciting because
0: uh we don't do a lot a lot of those anymore so um obviously the forefront the big thing happening right now is the french open we're in the right in the middle of it where do we want to start are we starting with the french open
1: yes uh we're going to start with uh, the french open obviously we've been talking about this for weeks but it keeps on uh, occurring so we still need to talk about it yeah so it's the wta wells continue Uh oh now uh only igas Swiatek, the number one player in the world made it to the fourth round the rest of the top 10 did not jeez as a matter of fact there was one of the biggest upsets in french open history uh karolina pristkova who's the number uh eight seed she lost to the 227th seed in the Jeez. world. So the top 10 keep their woes with the exception of Iga Swiatek. What are your thoughts? Um, I mean, we've been we've kind
0: of been speaking on this and not being surprised by this happening for a long time now. But you just still don't want to see it happen. I'd like to be wrong. I prefer this wasn't happening. So not a fan of what's going on. And. I'm not happy about it for multiple reasons. Obviously, I enjoy high stakes and tough matches against great players, but also I'd like to see our champions be respected for their accomplishments during their era. So, I think this hurts Iga because we go, okay, she won her French, but there were no top seeds in there. You know, so not a fan of what's going
1: on. Yes, when she won it, there were, but right now, yeah, she's the heavy heavy favorite with nobody uh, really ranked, yeah. so it, it is sad to see, but you know it keeps on happening. But hopefully, the uh, between the 11 and 16s, they most likely will go into the top 10. Your Pagulas, your yeah. I hate to say this, your radicanius So if they can uh creep up and make some noise, at least that would do something for the WTA. This
0: does kind of excite me for one specific perspective, and that is I love the idea that Iga is now. I mean, almost overnight, going from being the underdog with nothing to lose, pressureless, to now she's the absolute dominant, dominant favorite. And this is going to provide a whole nother type of pressure for her. So we'll have an opportunity to see her play under that. Yes. And that will speak to her championship qualities as well, because we haven't seen anyone outside of maybe... Serena Williams and a few of the other super legends able to perform under that level of pressure consistently. So I'm excited to see if maybe she can separate herself in that aspect.
1: Yes, I agree. Uh, we're going to move on. Radha makes a request. Now, this was a, a interesting one. So she went on Instagram and uh, Twitter to make a request. She said, uh, I would love to play mixed doubles this uh, Wimbledon and I would love for Andy Murray to be my partner. Wow. So if you're available, let's make it happen. Mm. We do know that Nick Kyrgios most likely could play with Osaka. Yeah. So what are your thoughts of a uh, murray Radikanyu, uh tag team there? Personally, I don't want to see that.
0: Just being honest. Um, I'd like to see Murray play with someone a bit more mature, a bit more championship quality for doubles specifically, but nonetheless it will sell tickets and I will be watching if it does happen, but I'll just have low expectations, that's what I mean to say so, I at this point I do think Murray is an actual good doubles player, I really oh, do, absolutely. you know and I can't say that for her and this is Wimbledon, this is Murray's home slam, you know maybe they do that at Indian Wells, maybe they do that at like the French or the US Open,
1: I don't know if I want to see that at Wimbledon Oh, I agree. And uh, again, uh, she did win the U.S. Open. She, she did win it as a wild, not a wild card, but uh, uh, you have to qualify into the U.S. Open. It's just that to me, the way she did it, she beat who she had to beat, but she didn't have any top contenders there. Unlike Layla Fernandez. Right. But you, after that victory, she's been downhill. So honestly, it's, um, it's underwhelming what she's been doing. But hopefully, she can get her act together for sure. Yeah. Uh, moving on, we're going to talk about the teen sensations. Uh, are they taking over tennis? Now, we had four teenagers in the quarterfinals. We had Leila Fernandez. Mm-hmm. We had Coco Gauff. We had Alcaraz. Alcaraz. And then, of course, the new guy, uh, Run, mm-hmm. who played Djokovic at the U.S. Open. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know Rune, correct? Yeah, I do. I do. Yes. Uh, What are your thoughts of the teenagers uh, coming up and potentially making some noise? Uh,
0: Some of these teenagers specifically, I am a fan of. Uh, Obviously, I like Goff. Not a fan fan of her game, but I do respect her and I I do like her future and I like her as a prospect in most slams. I think that a Grand Slam final and title is in her future. I really do. But... I like her as a doubles player more than a singles player as far as fandom goes. I'm a big fan of her doubles game. So, uh, with Goff, that's awesome. With Rune, I haven't been watching closely. So, I have mixed emotions there. Um, That Iga, her first test she dropped in a while was against a teenager, right? Yes. Uh, It was against Zhang, (sighs) I believe. That was an exciting match and that was an exciting uh, loss for her. Right. I think that um I don't I don't know if you plan to report on that match anything she said in her uh in her press conference, do you? No, I wasn't planning to know. Okay, because But if you have
1: the the 411 go for it.
0: Yeah, she um she so she won the first set in a tiebreaker. Right. And she said the only reason she couldn't take that match was her lady problems and that she wishes she was a man because it was it was that first day of that time of the month and her stomach pains were worse than her muscle pains she said my soreness my fatigue my legs none of that was more distracting and frustrating than the cramps and the stomach aches I had playing against her after that first set tie break she said I wish that that didn't happen to me and that I could have been a man for that
1: match Oh. I I didn't know that. That's uh, a yeah. very interesting.
0: Yeah. So that was a it was an interesting take from her and I love the fact that she she was not starstruck. She wasn't blown away by playing a legend on the court. It was more so just, you know, internal struggle. So, I expect good things from her.
1: Yes. Uh Layla did lose uh Coco Goff won. Mm-hmm. Uh obviously we know that the epic between Alcaraz and Zverev. Yeah. So that was epic and uh rune uh i believe he lost today to brud yeah so he did. but uh, uh the teenagers are coming so and the teenagers are losing to very good players exactly so
0: i respect all of their losses i don't think any of them were let downs in this tournament specifically um except maybe Layla fernandez's match i didn't yes. watch that one yes
1: she should have won yeah but the to other ones were on. all yes very respectable so i agree um i will say this before continuing uh uh Zverev at the net, once he beat Alcaraz, he said, uh uh you're definitely the future, you're gonna win more than one French Open. Mm-hmm. And uh I'm glad that I won uh, before you start beating everybody. <laughs> so that's what Zverev said to uh Alcaraz. Yeah, I, I like Zverev for that. He seems to be a very genuine guy on the court. Yes, for sure. Uh moving on, we're gonna have some uh Curios beef. Mm. Now this hasn't happened in a while. Uh, Bernard Tomic, uh, one of Bernard our favorite, Tommy. one of our favorite boys on this uh, podcast, the geez. Australian original bad boy. Exactly. Uh, they've sort of started talking their nonsense again. Uh oh. So, as a matter of fact, uh, Tomic has challenged uh, Kyrgios for a, a million dollar match to say that he can beat him. And uh, Kyrgios was all, "Dude, you're four hundred and something in the world. You're not going to beat me." Yeah. And then Tomek was all, I don't know why you don't want to take it then. Uh, I think you're jealous of me and you've idolized me for so long and uh, you wish you had the career that I had as a teenager. You couldn't even touch it. So what are your thoughts on uh, Tomek's beef with uh, Nick Curios?
0: It's very hilarious that he sounds like a washed up old man at such a young age he's already reminiscing on his teenage career when he's still on the pro tour 400 and something though <laughs> yeah I mean that's that's really funny especially because he's he's saying it to Kyrgios who is actively playing great tennis and why do we why do we need to talk about teenage years when you're both actively on the pro tour right now why would he be jealous of your teenage career no one talks about that so that was funny and at the end of the day let's be honest here. Um, He's not even close to Kyrgios right now.
1: So do you think he should take the million-dollar match, Kyrgios?
0: I would love to see it. I would love to see it. I would watch it. I'd report on it. I'd commentate it. And on top of all that, I think that it would sell tickets. I really do. If they want to have it here in uh, Southern California, I will buy a ticket. I'll be there. So, um, yeah, Bernard Tomek, it sounds more like he's looking for a reach for income than actually... um, him being legitimately serious about it—that's my opinion. I don't think he really thinks he's gonna win that. He's kind of going the the Conor McGregor, the Jake Paul, the the big showman drama route to sell tickets to something that he's probably not even in
1: the class of. So, I never thought of that. That's fair for sure. Yeah, yeah. Nick Kyrgios is still uh, pretty much at the top of the game. Yeah, maybe not in singles, but he's definitely a good doubles player. Yeah, and. He, he can mop the floor with Tommy. So yeah, don't even waste
0: your time. Let's keep in mind Kyrios just beat a number eight in the world, Casper Rude. Right. Who is in the semis of the French Open right now. That is correct. You know, so he has some significant wins in recent time
1: under right. his belt. So correct. Um, since you talked about that, let's talk about that before we talk about the scheduling. Okay. So, um obviously the top half of the French Open was loaded. Loaded. With the Zverev. Our three favor three.
0: Our three, or not, let's say four of our five favorite players to win the French Open were in one
1: half of the draw. Right. The top three favorites were in the top half. Djokovic was the favorite, then Alcaraz, then Nadal. Right. Plus you add Zverev. Who might have been your number five pick. Right. On the other one was Pass, Medvedev, and Rudd. Right. Now, this is completely disappointing because Sissy Pass is a great clay court player. Yes. And he couldn't even make it to the final without having to face one of those two top guys. Yeah. Normally he'd have to beat at least one of them to make it to the final. Yeah. And Rudd is most likely going to take advantage of that and make it to the final. hmm So with that being said, let's talk about Sissy Pass. What are your thoughts? Are you disappointed that he didn't get through that weak bottom half? Absolutely.
0: You know, you I heard Tiafo say this in a com a conference last year when Players recognize there's a route where the invincible guys that always win aren't in their path to a slam, final, or opportunity. They tend to grind a little harder, elevate a little more, and play their best tennis. It's funny to me that Cecipa saw a clear route, no players he couldn't beat, on his way to a final at the French Open again. And he exited earlier than usual. Very disappointing. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me how he let that happen. I'm, I'm curious, you know, like, what was the reason? You know, he lost to a rookie. Was the rookie that good? Or was it just an off day, or did he have a poor
1: performance? I honestly didn't see the match, but... I didn't watch it because I didn't think it was that important. I'll right. be honest, I really didn't. Right, as a matter of fact, uh, the top two contenders there would have been Rudd and uh, Pass. Yeah. And, and here, Marin Chilich, who's not a clay court player at all, beat Rublev, and he's in the semis. Yeah, and let's... um.
0: I don't know if we're done with CC Power. are we done discussing that?
1: No, you can keep going.
0: Uh, well, I'm, I'm about to take it somewhere else if we oh, are. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Take it somewhere else. Um, because Marin Cilic is a Grand Slam title holder. He is. And a lot of people forget that because he's probably the least admired Grand Slam winner of the last 15 years. Um. I I feel like that's a bit of a big statistic that has no numbers to back it up, but this guy won the U S open and he hasn't done a whole lot since. And he's pretty late in his career right now, but I just want to say he did just beat Rublev in a five setter. Rublev is a great athlete. Um, He's in that bottom pool. And, you know, at the end of the day, He's beaten some pretty good players. He straight set Juan over Medvedev, you know, and he's consistently uh, he's got weapons. He's a decent mover for his size. He's got a massive serve, and he's clearly playing good tennis right now. What are the odds
1: that he becomes a two slam holder? He could he could beat uh, uh Rudd. I can see that he is he does open up the court really well. Mm-hmm. Now as far as the top half, it's gonna depend. If if Nadal gets through Zverev, it's mm. going to depend how fresh he is. Yeah. And if if Nadal is struggling a little bit, uh, Chilich could most likely possibly uh, make the upset. Okay. It depends on Nadal's foot for sure. Yeah. And, I mean, for me, this is my thought process.
0: If Nadal beats Zverev, Nadal's winning this slam. If Zverev beats Nadal, I'm assuming because of the foot. I see Chilich. I can taking, see that too. I see it. It's possible. It's very possible. Casper Ruud is playing amazing clay court tennis, and we know he's a great clay court player. Yes. So I do think that Chilich and Ruud can go either way. But on the flip side, I do think Zverev is beating Ruud in a final if they were to run into each other.
1: I can see that for sure.
0: Um, but you know, is your favorite obviously Nadal right now? Yes. Same here. Yes. Still my favorite, but. I, I'm just so curious. What does it mean for the sport of tennis if a French Open falls into the lap of Chilich?
1: Yeah, that's that's
0: anticlimactic for sure. What does that mean? He's a, yes. That makes him have two slams. We have to put him in the same company as the Stan Wawrinkas? Murrays. The Murrays? That's, that's pretty crazy. So I'm interested to see how that plays out and what we... That puts him in the Hall of Fame, you know, and... He doesn't come to mind when I think of Hall of Fame tennis players in the last decade. He doesn't.
1: Well, uh, with a slam, he's definitely in there. Oh, sure. he's in there. Yes. You know,
0: he has more slams than Andy Roddick there if you. he wins that. Yo, for sure. Which is mind blowing. So uh, I'm just curious to see how that goes. But where else did you want to go with this?
1: Yeah. So uh, before moving on, we're, uh, I'm going to have uh, uh, two uh, stats here. Uh, uh, Sissy Pass has never lost to a person outside the top 30 at the French Open until this year wow so that was big as the favorite in the bottom that's half. a real upset big upset yeah. and then you have zverev i don't know if you knew this this is his first top 10 win in a major he's 0 11 previous to alcaraz he's 0 11 against the top 10 in majors that's insane so that but, is huge for zverev
0: yeah i was gonna say we do know zverev to be the guy who chokes Yes. He's a choke artist. You know, there's no other way to say it. If he doesn't come out the gates playing his absolute best tennis and getting winners, specifically winners, he tends to get more reserved. The serve gets shaky. The serve slows down. The the shots are less risky. And then he loses. Right. So, I'm excited that he was able to beat someone who gets a lot of balls back in... slam that's a top 10 player and someone that he respects and recently lost to right so you know him beating Alcaraz is a like you just said that's a huge number that's a huge statistic yes so he's definitely the man to watch out for and Nadal doesn't underestimate any opponents no no. so this is going to be a war he'll be right and that's why I'm so confident that if Nadal takes out Zverev
1: he's winning this yes I agree 100% now we're going to get to the scheduling conflicts So, there's been a lot of drama with the scheduling. We do know that uh, Zverev actually went on uh, social media and said that Alcaraz has been getting a lot of attention and that he's been playing nothing but night matches Mm -hmm. and that it wasn't fair because he had been wanting to, he has been playing in the day a lot. Mm -hmm. So, Alcaraz all of a sudden said, I actually don't mind playing during the day when I play at night. It's I have to stay up really late and it throws off my patterns of my routines. Mm. So then you have Nadal who wanted to play during the day. Mm. So he wanted the Zverev Alcaraz match to happen at night and the Djokovic Nadal match to happen during the day. Mm-hmm. But uh, Emily Maresmo, who is the new uh, um, uh, well, tournament director, mm. said, "You know what?" Um, this is their second year now that they have one match at night and the ticket people for that night match, they only get the one match. Yeah. So they're trying to make it big. Yeah. And she said, well, I'm sticking to my guns. Uh, Carlos Moya, who's obviously Nadal's coach said, "Uh, this is a 13 time champion. He's most likely the biggest history of the French open. And you're not going to accept his request. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on Moya's comment about Nadal? Screw his request. I don't care what
0: his request was. Look, we're not changing the whole day of your match. You are, you need to know you're the 13 time champ. You're the headliner. You go last. I'm sorry. Undebatable. We cannot compromise there. You are, Floyd Mayweather doesn't fight in the middle of the night, he fights last. What are we talking about here? And no one's buying one single ticket for a one match night session to not see the biggest match of the day or night. So that, that's a joke to me. You know, I'm sorry. I get that these players think that they're highly favored and privileged, but I love to hear when they're not. So I'm in full support of him playing at night. He's the best player in clay courts on in history. It doesn't matter what time of the day it is. He should do fine. I really do believe that. And his opponent is going to be in the same conditions he's in. So, it's fair. Um, It is what it is. I don't see why they think that they should be entitled to that. I personally, if I'm a tournament event holder, my best, best match of the whole day is going last.
1: Before I get to Zverev, uh, I'm going to start with Nadal. I understand the Mm. the heavy topspin during the day. Yeah, absolutely. I get it. But... If you remember the two, uh, two years ago when Nadal beat uh, Djokovic, when the French Open was in September, mm-hmm. it was cold, it was at night, mm-hmm. and that was the most lopsided match in their history. Mm-hmm. Nadal destroyed Djokovic. Mm. It was, I believe, it was six two seven five six one. I remember 6-2. that. I that remember was the that. most lopsided victory in their series, uh, series on Nadal side. But yet, he wanted to play during the day. Mm. So that, to me, didn't make sense. Yeah. Because he's already proven that Djokovic can't handle the heavy ball anyway. Yeah. So that was surprising to me. Now, going to Zverev, he has to understand that Alcaraz is an up-and-gummer. Yeah. He is the man right now. Now, again, people could say he doesn't have a slam yet. There's too much hype on him. But he's deservingly putting all the attention on him by winning all these masters 1000s right and he just beat Zverev in Madrid Mm -hmm. so Zverev really to me doesn't have a point
0: yeah I don't understand what Zverev Zverev never has a point (laughs) Zverev is always making outlandish statements wasn't he making something crazy about being the best in the world or something last year yes but didn't have a top 10 victory in a slam what are we talking about Zverev you know, um That he was part of the new big three. Yeah, he was the new big three without beating anyone in the top ten. Stop it, man. Right. So yeah, that's funny to hear. And Zverev, I still I one thousand percent believe he's the future of tennis still. I think he's a great athlete. But you gotta relax, man. You gotta relax. You know, you you're he's still in my head an up and comer himself. He's a very well accomplished Masters One Thousands winner, World Tour Finals winner, all those great things, but He still needs to prove to me, hopefully here at this Grand Slam, what he can
1: really do. I agree. Now we're going to get to the main event here. But before uh, that, I'm going to uh, give a a statistic. So the most Grand Slam semifinals of all time. So obviously we know Nadal's in the semifinals. Mm -hmm. He has 37 semifinals. Mm -hmm. Djokovic has 42. Mm. And Federer has 46 Mm. semifinals appearances in Grand Slams. What are your thoughts on that? These guys
0: own it. I'd love to hear a statistic on how many semifinals opportunities all of them have had collectively and how many of them they obtained because the consistency is insane. It's almost assumed if they're in a tournament, they're going to the semis. Oh, yeah. It's almost assumed. So, you know, and that statistics like that really speak to these awkward moments where CC Paz just loses out the blue. It shows you how inhuman these big three are. Compared to the rest of the world. So, right. You know, they never had these just, what, he lost? I remember the first time Nadal lost before the fourth round in a slam, the whole, like, hell froze over, you know? And it was Wimbledon. You know, that was his weakest slam, and we were blown away. So, it's funny that no one reacted like that to this. You know? <laughs> we're, we're like, yeah, it's normal. But when it happened in Nadal, it was, like, headlining news everywhere. Trending, so... These guys are a different breed and
1: we're going to keep seeing that more and more as we watch these other players. As a matter of fact, during the Nadal match, uh, uh, this stat was uh, said, uh, don't quote me exactly because I don't remember the number exactly, but uh, the past 20 Grand Slams, either the big three have won 11 or 12 of those 20. Yeah. So there's the dominance right there. Yeah, they own it. So now we're going to get to the Nadal Djokovic match. Did you watch it? I watched the highlights. Okay. So, Djokovic, if, if you like point breakdowns, you're going to like this right here. Okay. In the first set, Nadal established this pattern of hitting to Djokovic's backhand and mm-hmm. hitting that down-the-line forehand. Mm-hmm. The weapon for Nadal's choice to win that match was the down-the-line forehand, and he mm-hmm. was hitting it clean. Mm-hmm. In the second set... Djokovic did something that I've never seen before. He went Thor's hammer. Delpo, um, uh, who's the other one? Uh, somebody with a big forehand. Uh, Söderling, for example, who okay. beat Nadal at the French Open. Yeah. He hit through him mm-hmm. right to his forehand. If, if you want to beat Nadal, Delpo and Söderling have beaten him by hitting through Nadal's forehand. Mm-hmm. And he did that in the second set. Mm-hmm. In the third Djokovic just was exhausted by hitting 95-mile-an-hour forehands. Yeah. So the first three games, he was done. Yeah. And then he tried to establish a pattern of going to Nadal's backhand so he can open up the court. Yeah. But here, Nadal is no dum-dum. What he did is he sliced it middle. So now Mm. he can't continue that pattern anymore. Yeah. And he needs to do something special in order for him to open up the court. Yeah. And now... Djokovic has to hit it back to him and now the point is neutral yeah so that was an amazing strategic uh play by Nadal yeah and then the last thing that happened was we do know that Nadal always targets Djokovic's backhand yeah and then Djokovic will hit a sharp angle to Nadal's forehand to open up the court yeah this time he did not do that Mm. there was something major in Nadal's forehand that Djokovic kept hitting middle of the court So he couldn't get it to Nadal's forehand. Once that happened, Nadal would hit that down the line forehand on Djokovic. So Djokovic had no answers for Nadal. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, in the fourth set, he did what he did in the slam in French Open when he lost in the winner. Nothing but drop shots. Mm -hmm. And he did not make them. He's not Alcaraz. Yeah, I saw that. So what are your thoughts? Um, I love to see these chess moves and these
0: sequences that they exchange with each other because they transcend just a a one meetup, you know? So, obviously, this time around, Nadal came with a plan that Djokovic could not adapt to sustainably for a full three sets, you know? Because he did, these are genius players, you know, they do make adjustments, they're playing chess. And Djokovic found a solution that just wasn't sustainable for a five-setter. That was the issue. And then when he had to come up with a plan B, he couldn't come up with one. Obviously, he's going to go home. He's going to watch the tapes. He's going to talk with his team. And he will have an answer for this exact sequence next time. But kudos to Nadal for finding a sequence that Djokovic couldn't solve in such a short amount of time. Um, it's excellent tennis. This is tennis at the highest level. It's all about sequences, patterns, shot placement, and thinking four shots ahead. Um this is what CC was missing when he was playing Djokovic right. previously, was making the adjustments, because he came out swinging, and Djokovic made small adjustments that he could sustain, and then there was not an adjustment in return after. So, this is phenomenal tennis. You know, I love to see this kind of stuff, and this is why they go to semifinals. Exactly. You know, um, that's brilliant. It's a good observation from you, you know, so... The most exciting thing is going to see, be when we see them play each other again. What are the adjustments? What are going to be the adjustments? Because if you're Nadal, do you make a change to anticipate a change? Do you stick to your guns and have an, an adaptation prepared for after? What are the court settings like and the conditions? A lot of different things happen. So it's really exciting because you have to adjust for adjustments that don't exist exactly. yet. You know? So I'm excited for it. This is why tennis players have to have analysts with them in teams and very, previous pros and stuff like that work with them off the court because you can't beat these other guys without it you just can't
1: yes because they get everything back they own all the shots so yeah. now it comes to if I go here he's gonna go here yeah so that's what it comes down to as a matter of fact Djokovic was a little dum-dum and kept serving to Nadal's backhand in the um, ad side mm-hmm. and Nadal kept running around it yeah. And hitting topspin forehands to Djokovic's backhand and opening up the court. So Djokovic had no answer. Yeah, So he better learn. If not, uh, Nadal's going to get his number again.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot to take from this. You know, it's, it's exciting to know that Nadal is able to still come up with such quality game plans consecutive times in one year. Because this isn't the first time this year he returned to play someone again. And had a landslide win over them, convincingly. His mind is still working at an excellent genius level. Um, and on top of that, it once again, it just draws me back to thinking, Djokovic, don't you wish you played in that Australian Open? You know? Exactly. Don't you wish you played in it? Because this is the worst thing we were... Ex- this was a worst-case scenario for him at the French Open. You know, uh, you run into Nadal a little bit early. He's still more fresh, and he has a game plan. That's what happened. So now we move on to Wimbledon, and you've got to try there. That's where you got to try at, you know. So we'll see what happens
1: for him there, but it's going to be interesting. If Nadal gets this French Open, he'll have a two uh, Slam lead, which he hasn't had in his career. Yeah. And now all the pressure is on Djokovic. He has to win three to take over. Correct. And don't ever doubt Nadal at the French Open. Don't Never. do that. You uh, people always do it. I mean, how can you put him as the third favorite? That's ridiculous. Yeah. So don't do that. So unless you have anything else, do you have anything else? Um, I do have one thing. Okay. Um, at this point in time,
0: what are your predictions for the Djokovic, Federer Nadal Slam collective, um, Slam uh, numbers? Who do you think is going to finish on top now? Because if you want me to be frank with you, two years ago, Nadal was my least high pick for who's going to have the most slams collected. I had him in tied with Federer maybe, but definitely behind Federer and Djokovic or at least one of them. Now, it's looking like he might run away
1: with this if he can protect the foot a little bit longer. What are your thoughts? Yes, as long as he protects his foot, he he's, all, he's talking as if he's pretty much done. He's all, oh, I'm enjoying the moment. Mm-hmm. and uh, i never take anything for granted so hopefully that's not a uh, a ciphering to where he's saying okay i'm done yeah but if if his foot is good i think nadal's a he- the heavy favorite to win for sure yeah. uh most likely djokovic would win wimbledon at the u.s open we already know that anybody could win there yeah and um if Nadal wins at the US Open, it's over. It's over. Yeah. So, right now my heavy favorite, especially if he wins the French Open is going to be Nadal. Yeah, because there's still another French Open next year. Right.
0: And for me, Wimbledon and the US Open are crapshoots. Yes. Especially with the way the draws are stretching and the tides are turning and it's turning into Djokovic having has to beat 3 of the favorites to win a slam. That's insane. Yes. So, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for me. Um, I look forward to whatever we have coming up because we will already have a French Open winner Yes. um, before we record our next episode. So we'll have a lot to cover again. Um, I don't know if we're going to have a whole other episode's worth of content to double up today to record an extra one for next week. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. We'll
1: talk more. Okay, well, with that being said, thank you for listening and I hope you guys were entertained. ATP 101 Dalmatian